If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the flight diary for more details. This episode is also brought to you by Double Helix Disc Sports. Double Helix exists to provide the best in equipment and apparel for players at every skill level. They are also the manufacturer and exclusive seller of their own grip solution, Ringtail Dry Sacks. Brothers Mark and Matt aim to provide an extremely high level of quality and customer service in everything they do for the disc golf community. So browse their selection at doublehelixdisksports.com and use the code FLIGHTSHIP at checkout to get free shipping on your first order. For more news, giveaways, and sweet disc golf content, follow them on Instagram at doublehelixdisksports. You're listening to The Flight Diary, an intimate collection of stories, theories, and thoughts from the world of professional disc golf. I'm your host, Brian Earhart. Today, we finish up my two-part conversation with five-time world champion, Paul McBeth. He fills me in on his early negotiations with Prodigy, his blooming obsession with fitness and training, and how he began to cement his place as one of the most influential people to ever pick up a flying disc, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm really glad that you all get to hear it. Enjoy. So yeah, in 2011, it looked like you finally went all in, and baseball was no longer in the question. It sounded like for a time you were like, eh, maybe I'll play baseball, but now you're kind of moving into this disc golf role, and you feel, from what you were talking about, it feels like you feel more secure in yourself now, and like your path. Now, 2011, I noticed a lot clean, a lot cleaner of a season for you. Mm-hmm. And how were you touring in 2011? I was still riding with my buddy Noah at the time. He would still take me to these West Coast ones, the one up up California, because a lot of these are still in California. Yeah. <laughs> one thing in my life that was never, and this is probably why my life is the way that it is now, is I never had reliable vehicles, ever. <laughs> Like my first vehicle ever was when I turned 18, was it 1970, between 1974 and 1979, Dodge Ram Charger. Oh, no. So like a tank of a vehicle. That was my first ever vehicle. No top, chop top, had no roof, had no stereo, no speakers. It was literally just, if it rained, I was getting wet. (laughs) Like (laughs) holes in the floor. I, it had no gas what? pedal. It was just a gas rod. So I didn't have a gas pedal. I just had a gas rod that I would push. And it, it could park. It could, you know, and yeah. drive. And that was that was it. Brakes worked. Motor worked. That was it. It was a rock crawler. Okay. That's what it was. Off-road vehicle. And <laughs> Really? Yeah. And then my dad gave it to me. So it was like his junk vehicle. And okay. then he gave it to me. So uh, that, that vehicle lasted me a year. Then I got another vehicle that I bought for $700. Last me a year. This now at this tournament, I was going through cars because they wouldn't last that long. Yeah. Because I wasn't buying expensive vehicles. I was just going through one, drive it till it like broke down. Till it dies. So this year I was traveling with Garrett Gerthy actually. Okay. So when we went to the Victoria Open, I remember there was three of us and I had a Mitsubishi 3000 GT. Let's go. (laughs) So three people in one of those. It's basically a two seater. There's technically a two out of that. Yeah. Technically a seat in the back, but not really. Like you have to sit sideways. It's two bucket seats, but you sit sideways. Crammed with stuff. And we were driving to Texas. And then halfway through the year, we hopped into Garrett's Mustang at the time. 
<laughs> okay. Another like another not small vehicle. Suboptimal yeah, two, tour vehicle. Two, yeah, two door. So I remember that whole year it was Garrett and I. And then I forget what it was, but Garrett disappeared for a little bit. But he left his Mustang in California and he's like, Yeah, you could drive it out to one of these tournaments. And if one of the tires just fell off on the highway. Off. Just off. Just in the middle of the freeway. Did you guys get in an accident? Like what happened? Luckily we were creeping at the time and then the tire just fell over. And I was stuck in the middle oh of the freeway. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, I, first time I had ever had an issue like like anything to where I was like either an accident or anything like that. So I called tow truck service. They're like, I was like, do I get out of the car and walk out? Do I stay in the vehicle? And they're just kind of like, well, you know, whatever you feel safest with. And I'm like, I don't feel safe walking across a freeway. Yeah. And, <laughs> in, in, you know, just north of I don't of feel LA. great about that. So I sat there, got a tow truck, and then I think, I don't know if there's a gap or anything in there because of that, because I didn't have a vehicle. So eventually we found some some ways to go, and I think it was just because he changed the tires, and whoever did it didn't put the wheel back on. You know what? There was the brakes, and the oh, guy really? didn't put the wheel back on. Yep. Oh my gosh. It back on. So luckily there wasn't much damage, but we just lost the tire. So, I mean, lost a day or two, but still, I remember traveling in those vehicles, so we, we toured together after that, and then... Yeah, 2011 was big, but it was another one of those stepping stones. One B tiers, then an A tier. I want to talk real quick before 2012, which is mm-hmm. like that's the beginning of a new chapter. You this went to Europe for the tour. yeah. So this was national. I won my first national tour. So yeah, 2011 I won my first A tier. 2012 I won my first national tour, and then I went to Europe. Yeah, you're right. This was like this yeah, was like 2011. Yeah. Uh-huh. How was that for you? Talk to me about Europe because it blew my mind. The last like when I went in 2019, I had never so, seen anything yeah. like that. So we've talked about Innova. Yeah. Now this is 2011 is the underground year of Prodigy. Yes. So Prodigy came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. No, Prodigy came out in 2013. So 2011 was when Prodigy the talks had just started. Okay. So it the reason everyone went to Europe that year was because it was funded by Prodigy. Ah, I so see. So it was funded by investors of Prodigy. I don't remember their names. I don't. It's probably better that I don't. But it was funded by investors of Prodigy, and it was nine or eleven people. Yeah, a lot of top players that were going to originally be the founding people of Prodigy, and it was, uh, you know, a lot of the players that you know today, mm-hmm. and a lot of them actually played for Prodigy. So if there was anyone that was on the early years of Prodigy mm-hmm. and might still be on Prodigy, was in this group. Yeah. So they basically took us on a thirteen, I think eleven or thirteen country tour of Europe. Oh my gosh. So we went to all these countries in Europe. So we basically it was nine people. It was nine people. That's like unheard of in disc golf still yeah. at that time. Yeah. So the reason that so now I remember it was nine people. So four people in one car, five people in the other car. And there were wagons. And we basically got these rental cars and toured all through Europe. And I remember going to some some sketchy places because some of the people that were there like uh-huh. to indulge in some recreational yeah. stuff. So we went to some sketchy places. And I, <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. Like uh, we felt like we were going to get killed for throwing a Frisbee. But we toured Europe. It was it was wild. Like yeah. we went to Paris, we went to, you know, we went to Amsterdam, we went to Germany. Like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been was the German Alps. Like still oh, yeah. by far. Like the most crystal clear water I've ever seen. Up in the mountains, there's a course up there and, and I think it's Algu or Al- Up in the Alps? Yeah, up in the German Alps. Oh my god. And we went to Switzerland and then we eventually made our way over to I think Sweden and Finland. Just incredible. Like an incredible experience that uh, I mean, I'll never forget, but it was just wild to think about like 
that group of people are just so influential in disc golf now. Mm-hmm. And we're the, you know, the, some of the people that started, you know, what's now a prodigy. Mm-hmm. But it was, I mean, it was life changing because did I win? I won one of the tournaments. You huh? won the Tali Open. Yeah, the Tali Open. Yeah. Kale. And that was just like my first international, first ever international trip, and I win a tournament overseas. And it was just like mind blowing because I know, is it Algu? Can't really say it. But, yeah. But Nico won that one by like 13. Mm-hmm. And that was my birthday. So now, ever since then, like my birthday is July 9th. Every year I'm in Europe for my birthday. That's awesome. So it is nice, yeah. But it was funny because I was it was my twenty first birthday. So I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be legal age. I don't I don't drink. Uh-huh. But like it's just like a monumental year for of most Americans. And I was in Europe, which is eighteen. So yeah. it didn't even matter. Yeah, of course. So it was <laughs> so pretty d- funny. Yeah. yeah, that was the only time I think I've ever taken a shot. Ever? Mm-hmm. Whatever, and, man. Celebrate. Like that's an amazing so, place to be, and you won a tournament and saw all these and I was places. In Ger- like, uh, yeah, I was in Germany, and I I took a shot. Uh, I think it was just straight vodka, and it was like, <laughs> what a great first shot to terrible. have. Yeah, it just burnt my mouth. That's all I remember. So, I mean, you just brought up Prodigy, mm-hmm. and you never you never signed with Prodigy, mm-hmm. but clearly, like you just said, they took you along with them. Mm-hmm. I. When I saw that thing happen, the whole like, you know, they're advertising all the top players in disc golf and they're putting them on their team and they made it public that they're paying them salaries and like that's so unheard of yeah. for the world of yeah. disc golf and you didn't go with them. Yeah. What, so, what, what is your side of this story? So in 2011, when we went there, Prodigy was, it, it was so, I'm just going to use hand gestures. Basically, they promised this way up here at the top. You mm-hmm. know, they're like, we're going to give you, I'm just going to throw out numbers. This, is, this isn't the numbers, but just to make it more, you know palatable yeah so they're like we're gonna pay you a hundred thousand dollar salary you know we're gonna start a 401k for you we're gonna give you this amount of discs we're gonna have your mm-hmm. own brand and this is where it started right mm-hmm. so this was in 2011 you know mm-hmm. first meetings later in 2011 we'll give you seventy five thousand. you know mm-hmm. we'll get your 401k and you know this other thing mm-hmm. by the time it was actually about to happen mm-hmm. They're like, we'll give you two thousand a month. You know, like now it went from a hundred thousand basically down to like two thousand. I see. And then these are all like imaginary numbers, right? You're just doing it for scale. Yeah, but yeah. it did drop some substantial, crazy amount. number like that. I don't remember the exact number, but it did go from like a hundred, like that that big of a drop. Sounds like know? it just scared you. Yeah, and bit. I was like, okay, so this isn't what they promised. And then, so the talk started in 2011. 2012, they were kind of getting their ducks in a row, kind of starting to realize what was actually mm-hmm. a possibility rather mm-hmm. than their dreams. And they were telling us their dreams, not the reality. I see. So by the time Prodigy was ready to come out, I won my first Worlds in 2012. Yes. So Real quick before you jump there, I have a great picture for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look who's holding your leaderboard right there. That is me. <laughs> No way. Yeah, Look I was, at that. I was behind you the entire time during that final line. Yeah, I was interning for the PDGA that year. And that they took me to... Awesome. Yeah, it was like a college necessary internship. And mm-hmm. I called PDGA and they took me on. And yeah, I got to watch. It was... Yeah, it was an amazing final line. Yeah. It was like MJ with the, the tie-dye cotton polo that yep. like barely made the... With holes in it. Yeah, with holes in it that barely made the dress code regulations. Mm-hmm. And he it got... shouldn't have. It had holes in it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Come on, MJ. <laughs> but I mean, come on. He like starts out the final line with a huge ripping roller that yep. everyone goes nuts mm-hmm. over. And like, yeah, what he, an awesome week. It was one of those ones where he had no chance to win it, but yeah. he was in it and he was the local fan and favorite. And he was at this was Hornets Nest. Yeah. So he had everyone behind him, all the fans. So he was just having fun there. 
Yeah. So I mean, awesome. talk to me about the world title, though. I mean, I I was right there b- behind yeah. you, but we didn't we didn't converse. MJ was talking to me the whole time because mm-hmm. he didn't care, but I was kind of like, whoa, this dude's. It was the first time I actually had seen you play, mm-hmm. and I was like, this dude, okay, he's pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny. So I I mean, coming from the West Coast. We're not known for our wooded courses. Mm-hmm. We're not known for the tight wooded fairways. Everything's wide open. Distance. Yeah. Everything's distant. Charlotte's known for wooded courses. Yeah. Charlotte's known for those wooded, long, par four, par fives. So going out to Charlotte, you know, I was probably not, I was probably overlooked. Well, actually, we're going to go back to 2011. 2011, the World Championships was in Santa Cruz, California. Nate Dawson. Yes. Okay. And I had won the Memorial in 2011. I had won the Beaver State Fling you you did yeah, right so before you went won, to Europe. So I had won two national tours. I won a tournament in Europe. I was in my mind primed and ready to win the world championships in 2011. And they played De La and, and Pinto Lake. Yes, yes. And so I took 18th, I believe. I'm down there or 15th. Yep, 15th place. What had happened there was I got covered in poison ivy. First time I had ever gotten in my life. Oh, to the point no. where. My whole face was covered in it. My ear had swelled shut. What? Where I had like cauliflower ear. My face was just like oozing. And this was like the first time to where like it was so bad that I was on prednisone. It was all I could do was go to the, go to the ER and get medication and get prednisone for it. So oh my gosh. At the world championships, obviously I'm dealing with this poison ivy, but now I'm having the worst mood swings of my life. Because of the medicine? Because of the medicine. And I'm just like on the court. I, there was this one time and my mom and my brothers, and my I don't remember if my grandfather was there, but they were there watching. Mm-hmm. And I had no self-control of my anger or anything like that because really? of the prednisone to where I threw this one shot. It wasn't that bad, but I ended up either parring or bogeying the hole. Mm-hmm. And I was walking to the next hole and I was just like in this rage that I couldn't control that I took my belt off, launched it into the lake. What? Just launched it into like because I was so mad and I had and I didn't know what to do. You were like roid rage. Yeah. No, it literally that's what it is. It's roid rage because it is a steroid. And I was roid raging oh with these God. and just like launched it. And I'm like, I'm ready to win this tournament. And I don't, I have no self control over my anger at this event. And I had no clue. Like I I have a temper, but not this. Like yeah, this. chucking I, your belt into just a lake. Taking, and I love the belt. So <laughs> you no love control. that belt, yeah. man. And I just launched it into lake. And I just like, I was. In my mind, I was going to win this. Wow. And it just took you completely... You can't shoot 1,002 and like you know expect to win a world title these days. No. I mean, they were, who, Doss won it 73, 58, 75, 49, 40. Yeah. So like what it takes to win a world championship. But this is when I feel like wow. I should have won my first Worlds. It was 2011. And oh, my God, dude. What a crazy mishap. Yeah. So leading into 2012 now, I'm win- I win Memorial again. I win De La Viega. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I win Beaver State again. But now I'm just on a roll winning a lot of big events. Were you like um, starting to like train more and more and more? So like now, at this point I lived in Florida now. So okay. I moved to Florida and it was easier to play there. You know, now I'm playing at, at Cliff Stevens, Climo's home yeah. course, you know, hanging out with I I never played with Climo. Okay. But we hung out outside the course because they'd always have poker and stuff. So yeah. I'd like hang out and stuff because all my all the people there loved hanging out with Climo and just like not on the course but after the and because he was always gaming, wasn't he? He was always trying to game in some some sort yeah, of way. Yeah, he was. Yeah, super competitor and everything. And actually, I golfed more than played disc golf with him. Really? Yeah, his swing's pretty much what you'd expect. Like, yeah, clean old school. Just set it up and and just you know, takes his time on every shot. Very serious. So my buddy Kyle Sautel lived, worked at a golf course. So I'd Love go out Kyle. there all the time and just golf. That was my fun. So I'd golf and then go play disc golf and golf. 
uh, cause I'd get free rounds because of him. Uh-huh. So it, it kind of worked out cause it, it made me want to play disc golf because yeah. I didn't have to play it all the exactly. time. Exactly. But then I was more, you know, into the physical side too. After coming off baseball, yeah. I was more focused and things like that. So I was working out all the time and now we're at 2012. Yeah, we are in 2012 now. So yeah. So going into the world. Oh, so I, I'm thinking I'm going to win the tournament in California because I won every tournament in, Col- in California that year. Every tournament I played in California, I won. So I was like, there's world championships in California. I'm going to win the worlds this year. And then? And then did it. Pregnant zone. Pregnant zone. So go out to Charlotte. And I think because it's so far different than what I grew up on, I wasn't really favored to win it. I think they, they gave me a chance, but I wasn't favored in any way to win the world championships at that time. But with me, I get especially in disc golf, I get more focused on something that's more challenging. Mm-hmm. So I I put more time and effort into that. Mm-hmm. So if I go to an open course, I'm like, I know how to throw the disc, whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to go out there and throw it. But when I'm in the woods, that's not what I grew up on. So I need to actually focus a little bit more, mm-hmm. take my time on my shots, and actually execute the shot more because I can't have that you know, inch of mistake anymore. This is truly the woods golf too. Like mm-hmm. Charlotte is like... I just spent some time there recently and oh my gosh, like you find yourself reaching for different discs than you're used to as well. So it was like, it was like a puzzle that I had to solve. Exactly. And you know that (laughs) we didn't mention this in high school, but that's what I did. My grandfather's architect. So I really loved doing architecture when I was younger and Mm -hmm. in high school, you know, I I was actually certified in architecture. No way. Yeah. We had some, my school wasn't a trade school, but we had a lot of these off the wall things that you could do in school because we had such a big, Like skill development kind of things, yeah. So my first year, we had drafting, and then it turned into straight up like architecture. But yeah, I graduated with some kind of certificate in architecture, and I love doing it because my grandfather, yeah. That's awesome. That was the backup plan if disc golf didn't take off. But I I love the puzzle sides and building things, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what going to Charlotte felt like, was they designed this course as like a puzzle, and I need to figure it out Uh because I'm not used to this. So I'm uncomfortable, but I need to make myself comfortable. Yeah. And get used to it. So what was your game plan out there? Like, like what discs were you reaching for? What shots were you throwing? Were you throwing more hyzer flip than you were used to? I was probably throwing more fairways and mm. uh, rocks. And at this time, I had just started throwing T-birds and stuff like that and fairways. Okay. Because I never had to in Southern California. And then, you know, Kyle Crabtree actually told me, like, you're going to have to learn to throw a T-bird. Like, yeah. you're going to have to before I ever got out on the road. He was very adamant on that. Like, you're going to have to learn to throw these mm-hmm. because... You know, he'd been out on the road They're before so he won important. Kansas City Wide Open. Yeah, he was the first person from Huntington Beach to win a national tour. Uh, I was still learning how to throw those discs at this time, mm-hmm. but but it was back when the 11 times were there still. So yeah. they were, you could still get them. I knew it was a lot of rocks and a lot of uh, T-birds there. Yeah, and I mean, obviously you threw them fantastic and mm-hmm. you played, you know, amazing and won your first world title that probably felt like another clicking point for you. Like yes. you, you won a world title at a place that you were not comfortable at. Mm-hmm. It's like exposure therapy almost. Like you, you now are comfortable yep. because you force yourself to be comfortable yep. and you won. Yep. So what happened to your life at that point? Did anything change really? After Memorial in 2011, I had won that. And then I was, so I was telling you about the unreliable vehicles. So I finally bought a brand new car after that. Awesome. After that year, I bought a brand new Jeep Patriot so it was like a small SUV mm-hmm. to where if it was me and one other person, we could travel easily, have a lot of space for a bunch of stuff. Or even if we had four people, we could travel mm-hmm. and put one of those toppers on. So started traveling out of that. Moved to Florida, lived there for a bit, and started traveling. So now all my tournaments are more so on the East Coast and the West Coast. Yeah. 
So I'm getting a different feel, getting the weather, humidity, getting used to all that stuff. And after Worlds is when my life really changed. Okay. So, you know, I was still playing all the same events, all that stuff. But now, once you win the Worlds, obviously your pay goes up. You yeah. get more pay. But now you're a favorite anywhere exactly. you go. There's a target on your back now. Yes. This was the time that Climo was pretty much past his his you know his time of winning events. Like I said, I've only ever seen him win lift one trophy ever. Yeah, I've I've had some battles with him, but I've I've gotten the better of him most of the time. And then Felberg was at the back end of his career. Mm -hmm. Doss was still relevant, but he was starting to fade away. Avery, same thing. And now it's just the younger generation, all the people that mm -hmm. were playing in 2005 Am Worlds, Shustrick, you, Ricky. Yeah. So all these people now. Now that I won my Worlds, these are all the people I'm competing against now. The old guard got washed away, you know, mm -hmm. like just naturally. And then what's crazy is you guys coming up had just a different mentality about the game. Like there was, as you, as we already talked about, there was like Frisbee culture mm -hmm. still like ingrained in the, like yes. the, the old guard, except for maybe Felberg. I don't know if Felberg was like big into that kind of stuff, but it's definitely a different vibe. Like you, Nico, mm -hmm. Yuli, like that mm -hmm. same class that we talked about. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I, and that, I mean, as we're talking about this, makes me think more back to 2009, I traveled with Yuli and Luke Butch and Derek Billings in an RV mm -hmm. for a little bit. We were the team smash dinos. And that was right when it was Doss, Felberg, Climo. And we we're like, those were the dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. Were, I mean, they were only like five years. And you guys six were six team smash dinos. Yeah. Oh that my was God. our nickname. We got smoked. But <laughs> after that, you know, we kind of just had that, like, we're going to take these guys down. Yeah. Like, Yuli had that mindset. Billings had them. I had that mindset. We're going to take these guys down. They basically have what we want, and we're going to take exactly. those titles. So that was kind of the, that point in our eyes where we're like, all right, here's the changing of the guard. We're going to take this over. Yeah. And 2012, I win the world, and this is actually when Prodigy's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to announce in 2013. Yeah. And they were still approaching me, and I don't know if I ever ever mentioned anything about prodigy to innova because mm -hmm. i was sponsored by innova and now once you win that once you win a world you get your own signature line disc you get you know you get the royalties off of that but there was two people that were a part of the prodigy mission that mm -hmm. that said something so phil arthur and levon wolf i remember levon wolf i mean levon's one of my favorite people ever mm -hmm. i wish i saw him more he told me, I remember having this conversation outside of all the meetings that we were having. And I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, like I, I won Worlds. Innova wants to support me. I know all these people are leaving. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I remember is he goes, There's, there can only be one Hawk. And he was referring to Tony Hawk. And he's like, you know, like you're in that position to where you can be the Tony Hawk. Whoa. You can be the Tony Hawk and take this game to another level. You don't have to go with everyone else. You can be by yourself. Lavone Wolf told you that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, and he's like, you can be the lone Hawk and be at a company and and take it all for yourself. Not mm -hmm. not necessarily take it all for yourself, but more so like you can Stay do in your this lane. on your own. Yeah. yeah, you don't need this whole team to mm -hmm. promote it and do it. So wow, that's like some really powerful words from that kind of guy. He's been so rich mm -hmm. in frisbee history for so long. Mm -hmm. So and he was a part of the project. So he was understanding like wow, you know, because like I said, it started way up here and he saw it dwindle down too to where he's like, you're gonna get way more. And it's going to benefit you way more to stay with Innova. Wow, powerful words, man. Mm -hmm. And then Phil was kind of in the same boat, and he was the one disc designing. And, you know, it sucked because I wasn't going to be a part of the mission with those guys. Yeah, but which was a huge deal for disc golf. Yes. Yeah, it was big. It was big for contracts and, and how people got paid exactly. on a monthly stipend and stuff like that. So it also helped in my deal. But I never, I don't think I ever mentioned this Prodigy stuff to Innova uh -huh. when I was talking to him. But that was kind of what actually sparked my love with 
contracts and, and negotiating and mm-hmm. agencies and stuff like that. So, I mean, getting those words from him who was starting this made sense to where I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to be the hawk of Innova and, and do this. That's good to know. I actually, I did not know about the Lavone Wolf story. That's fascinating. And I mean, Tony Hawk, I mean, that's a crazy comparison. He's done so much for skateboarding mm-hmm. and skateboarding culture coming into the mainstream. And yeah. that's kind of a similar mission that I can tell by just listening to you talk that you're on as well. I, I still remember it to this day and, and just to be able to, you know, be compared to that in any way at that time yeah. and, and you know seeing where seeing where i am now and, and where the sport is it's it's a story in the making right yeah now. wow what the heck this episode of the flight diary is brought to you by wander disc golf a brand that's bred from passion for the sport and all of the beautiful places it can take us wander has a wide variety of thoughtful apparel rooted in disc golf and an advocacy for mental health find them at at wander golf on instagram and shop at wanderdiscgolf.com So, I mean, you won your world title. You finished the season up. I, I do want to jump forward uh, yeah. to 2013, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to spend too much time here. I, you won another world title at Lemon Lake. So, Or no. So Actually. Can we go back to 12 real quick? Oh, sure. Three event. So 2012, actually, one thing that I did change from leading up from 2000 into 2012 is, is I had heard Climo doesn't play the reindeer games is what he calls them. So he doesn't do the distance competitions. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do the putting competitions. He doesn't do any of the side competitions. And in 2008, I, I was the distance world champion. So I oh, really? In it. Yeah, I won the distance world championship. So knocked that off my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into the 2009 one, but I was playing those games. I was playing the doubles matches. I was playing all those side games. And those were taking time and, and focusing. Exactly. The pra- and 2012 was the first year where I'm like, I'm just here for the world championships. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do all those side games. I see. And that was one big thing I changed in my preparation from the Worlds is I think those I think those are great things, but they shouldn't be involved at the World Championships. Mm-hmm. They should be their own little thing, like almost like an all-star event. I see. Like, you know, where Which where, I think it will be. Well, yeah, I think, you know, you and I should be able to compete in the putting competition and the distance throwing competition if we want. Yeah. You know, or the you know, like the dunk contest, three point contest. Like it's you got your you got your skilled set. Exactly. But that's really what allowed me to focus more on the tournament itself instead of the, the side games. Yeah, like how kind of LeBron doesn't do the dunk contest, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But I've noticed that about you. Like I, I've seen you, you know, pop the disc. And when we played today, I was like, that disc kind of comes out of his hand a little bit faster than mine, and I don't <laughs> quite see why or how. But I can tell you have distance, and you know, you actually choose to not use the distance that you have a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a very fascinating thing. And I, I will get into this because I have questions about not just your performance, but, but how you perform. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, 2014, I want to talk about this year because I saw, and this is when I started becoming kind of a, a, a disc golf fan. And I started believing that I could play disc golf for a living. Mm-hmm. I started seeing Jomez and I started seeing all the videos and I was like, man, this looks so fun and this looks so beautiful. Now, especially like your class, like, you know, who were touring at the time, throwing the stuff that you were throwing, the new equipment that was coming out, you know, the destroyers and the, and the, actually really the destroyers, like those types of discs, the fact that you were shaping them like fairway drivers was like, whoa, okay, there's levels to this game. I saw some of the highest level disc golf get played in 2014 that I've ever seen. And feel free to talk about whatever tournaments you want here. I want to talk about your world championship in Portland 
with Ricky, mm-hmm. your battle with him. It felt like to me when I when I watched that, it felt like I was watching two chess grandmasters playing chess. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see you guys screw up. Ricky made one mistake and lost after how how many holes? Six holes or something like that. Yeah, I was on the sixth. Talk to me about this year in general and like the the role that Ricky played in your season. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go too far into detail, but I saw something with you guys going back and forth because he was popping off this year too. Yeah, so <laughs> Ricky and I had a rivalry. It wasn't developed at that time because uh-huh. in 2012, 13, the winter, he stayed with me in Florida uh-huh. and we trained together and you know worked out together and practiced together a lot. But it was really this year in 2014 that that rivalry sparked. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he switched over to Prodigy and Prodigy was like, Prodigy makes the best discs ever. Like, but they weren't even throwing Prodigy discs. I like, have heard about that. And it's like, I get that. Like, if you want to, if you want to rep Prodigy and be stoked for Prodigy, that's fine. But don't claim that you're making those discs when you're throwing other things. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you, you throw in the playoff hole, you throw a Firebird and you beat me. Cause you threw a firebird closer than me and you, you parked it, you birdied, I think. And you're like, prodigy makes the best. Disc. I'm like, come on, man. Like yeah. that wasn't a prodigy disc. Like if you're happy, you won. Great. That's, that's, that's fine. Sports beef right but, there. Yeah. For sure. But don't, don't claim that it was your disc that did it, you know, especially when it wasn't even the manufacturer you're playing for that made it. So they had an open bag because when prodigy started 2013 to 2014, yeah. they didn't have a full line. They had like a few molds. So they were allowed to throw whatever. But here in 2014, the, the Ricky thing really popped up. At the, I think it was Texas here. So he was having trouble using their putters. Mm -hmm. So he switched back to KC AVRs. And again, thank you, Prodigy, for doing this, you know, helping me win this, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, you're putting with AVRs. Like, come on. Like, like, thanks, Prodigy, for supporting me and having my back in this event. Not thanks, Prodigy, for making these discs to help me win this tournament. Exactly. There was um, a lot of things. And then we were going back and forth all the time. Mm -hmm. It was either me or Rick, me or Rick, me or Rick winning. And then going into the World Championships... Everyone mm-hmm. was on his back. So he had like, now he had the whole team. He had Eulaberry, he had Garrett, he had all yep. those Prodigy people behind him. So before the semifinals, like I was pretty far back. I was pretty far back of them. And I had to make up some ground. I took a seven on this hole. So there was 22 holes left. Uh-huh. Now all of a sudden I'm back seven strokes with 22 holes left. And Ricky was winning, right? So I'm like way back. I'm not, I think I'm in fourth place at that time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm a ways back. I go on to birdie 21 of the next 23 or 24 holes that it was, actually. And so you saw that that big old trophy in my kitchen. Yeah. That yeah. one that you're like, is it a trophy or... Or, or, or uh, is it an art piece? Ass. Yeah. And it is, a, it is both, in a sense. After I took that seven, this guy that works at the art gallery, uh-huh. Braden is his name, he said... Okay, so, so further back, I'm going to rewind it a little bit back. I stayed at his house in Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. I walked into his house, and I, I love history. History is my, my favorite thing. Same here. And so I walk into his house, and he's got all these sculptures and stuff and all uh-huh. this artwork, and it's just made of stone and rock. And I'm like, are these all Zimbabwe? Like, are these made in Zimbabwe, like Zimbabwe art? And yeah. he was just blown away that, that you I knew, knew that. that. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, because I, I know, like, their history, and I know their culture, and I know, like, they have a style. Uh-huh. And he was blown away by that. And so that was earlier that year, I'm pretty sure. And then he was at the World Championships, and he uh, sent a message that said, if you can come back and win this tournament, I will make you your own personal art. Like, I will have someone make you your own personal piece from Zimbabwe. And I came back. Oh, my gosh. Made it to the final nine, made it to the playoff, and then ended up winning. And I messaged him immediately, like, I can't wait for my piece of art. And he did not 
he did not disappoint in that piece of art. Like, you yeah, saw it's amazing. That. It's like, it's big. So he had someone from Zimbabwe make that for you? Off of just a picture of me putting. He said, can you make this? Oh, that That's was made off of stone. you? Yeah, putting. That's yeah. amazing. That's this. I love that it's in the front of your house too. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you'll you'll walk around our house and stuff, and you'll see these little things that don't look like much. Yeah. But every time I see them, it's motivational pieces that's to where awesome. they're st- strategically placed through the house. Like if I if I see that really? walking out or walking yeah walking out, I'm like, I had to earn that. And I know that you like, like just moved in here too. Mm-hmm. You just moved in, into this house, so so that strategic placement was like one of the first things that you did. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like before we even bought awesome. the house, I knew what was going there. I just remember that was the year that I was like, wow, there's a long way to go in this game. It was like the putting meta was changing. It used to be like you go to a clinic yeah. and I don't know if I've ever been to a real clinic, but I'd watch them online. And I remember hearing some of the old school players be like, if you just make your circle one putts, you can mm-hmm. win almost any tournament. But it was turning into like, if you weren't hitting a lot of circle two putts, like yeah. big circle two putts, the game was just changing, and I was like, "Oh yeah. my god, I'm falling behind. I have to start grinding now." So I didn't want to. I didn't want to skip over the rivalry part because that's what yeah. started with Ricky here and the Prodigy side too. Like yeah. me versus Prodigy because they had like nine people on their team, uh-huh. or, or like upwards of thirteen. Where I was like, "I need to beat all of them." Mm-hmm. They're focused on just beating me because there was no one else at the time that mm-hmm. they had to worry about beating. It was just me versus Prodigy. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh! Wow. Every any pro you can think of was on Prodigy at the mm-hmm. time. There's not one. I mean, Nate Doss was Discraft. There wasn't really anyone else on Innova with me besides the old guard of Bridster, mm-hmm. yeah. Primo, Felber, those those guys. But, uh, Felber was Prodigy, I think. No, he got he got booted he before was la- I ever started. I think he was Latitude, yeah. Yeah, he went Latitude. So, yeah, me versus Prodigy all through that year, and, and same with 2015. So this, I think, was the, the last year before the Mach Xs became a thing. Yes. And I think Mach Xs and the Prodigy T1 or T2 or mm-hmm. whatever is not good for the game. I'm not a fan of these new baskets. Okay. I liked it where you actually have to have touch because now you can throw as hard as you want mm-hmm. and they're more than likely sticking. Mm-hmm. I didn't like cut throughs. And, and we had this conversation earlier. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you know, the smaller baskets, this and that. My, my thing is I don't think we need a smaller, uh, how would you say it? I think we need a disc golf basket. We don't have a disc golf basket. Yeah, talk to me about like you you made such a cool point that I did not know of about the size of the basket compared yes. to other things in sports yes. that I I've not heard anywhere else. My touch in 2014 and 2015 way better than it is now. I have to relearn that because I've had to develop to play on these baskets that we're on now. The modern basket, yeah. Yes. We had practiced so much that we had to learn touch. So we knew how hard to put it, how far to put it. But yeah, the point with the old baskets is the, uh, the Mach 1, the Mach 2, the Mach mm-hmm. 3, those were designed for Frisbees. They yeah. were designed for Frisbees. Big lids. Big lids. Yeah. Big lids. You know, every sport, golf. The the hole for golf is two golf balls wide. The basketball hoop, two basketballs wide is how the size of a hoop. Disc golf baskets, they're two Frisbees wide. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've always had those cutout issues or those cut-through issues mm-hmm. is because the gaps in the chains are too big. If we had baskets that were disc golf baskets, it would be too With disc With a more con- condensed chain you can't see cons- those yeah gaps yeah so that is why we have so many cutouts is because the gaps in them are so wide we don't need cross chains we don't need all that stuff we just need the basket two disc sizes wide but we don't have a regulation like that from pdga yet yeah because i don't know if they just haven't thought about it or what but they were perfectly designed for frisbees yeah like we have our local course here that has mock twos or mock threes yeah and I played around on it with Frisbees. Yeah. It caught amazing. Uh-huh. Amazing. It caught the Frisbees well. The Ultra Star. Yeah. Disc golf disc, spit outs all of the course, time. Of course. And people hate them. People all hate the playing yeah. them. 
Wow. But, but you put with an ultrasound on that and you're catching them all. That's the best compromise for the small basket argument that I've ever heard. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't want to shrink it. I don't want to make it smaller. I want to avoid the cutouts by making the basket a disc golf basket, not a frisbee. And basket. make it more like a traditional golf hole where you have to control speed. You have to control a yes. line. Yeah. You shouldn't be yeah. able to hit it as hard as you want and it stick. It, you should get spit outs yeah. if your speed is too hard. But we shouldn't be getting cut throughs. But so then, and I, I actually talk about this when I teach clinics, like how our baskets are not. Our baskets are very forgiving these days. So yeah. it's all about practicing your stroke rather than just making the putt because I could just mm -hmm. overhand knuckleball into the mm -hmm. basket and it, it'll catch. Every like that doesn't there. mean it's a good putt. Yes. So when we're talking about how putting, like there was just this rapid change. And I, yeah. I would say that you and Ricky pushed that, uh, that yeah. bar. Was it because you were feeding off of each other or were you just putting in more work or was anything changing in, in your head how you approached putting? I think we were just pushing each other a whole lot. Yeah. Ricky was making the long putts, and I was like, I have to make the long putts, yeah. you know. And and his his he's always made the long putts mm -hmm. way more often than he's made the short ones. I've seen I've seen him and clunk cage quite a bit. Yeah, a lot more ones. a lot more than you would you would anticipate. Mm -hmm. But because he makes the the eighty footers so often, yeah. you kind of overlook that. Exactly. It's like you know Steph Curry three point shot. Exactly. You don't see him dunk. Mm -hmm. You know, can he? Yeah, but. That's not his game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of how Ricky wow. is. And one thing is he, <laughs> if you saw the thing with Simon and or Yuli and Simon when they did the rank the people's driving Oh, skills, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky's a sprinkler system, you know, and, and, they're, <laughs> and they're right. That's what they call it. But that's so funny. he's so good because he makes the putts and scrambles. His scrambling is spots. amazing. Yeah. He, he, yeah. So he's very talented at scrambling. It's probably frustrating to play against, too. I mean, but I guess you maybe expect him to, to yeah, scramble. You always, yeah, okay. you always expect him to get up and down. You always expect him to make every putt he has. I mean, I, I expect him to miss a 20-footer then more so than I am a 60-footer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you're being honest about that. 60 yeah. feet is when you're like, okay, he's, he's got this. Yeah. I mean, I've played with Ricky before. Like, it's amazing to watch him hit long putts. His stroke is perfect. He has, like, the perfect mm -hmm. push putt, mm -hmm. like, mechanics-wise. Yeah, the way that his stance is, the way that he, he yeah, pendulums his arm way back there. His mm -hmm. stance, if he found a way to shorten it up inside the green and yeah. have two different styles. The thing is, like, he can have two different styles and make every putt, but that means he has to practice twice as much. Exactly. And if you told him and, like, someone was like, hey, you should probably change this. It's not consistent. It, he'd probably never putt well again. Well, no, I, and that's the mm -hmm. thing. Like, I, I'm not going to tell him how to do it because he was, you and him both pushed the envelope yeah. so far on circle two yeah. putting. And again, that's why I said, like, it felt like you guys were just two chess players just going back and forth, not making a mistake and waiting for the other person to screw up. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. He mm -hmm. hit that one tree. Yep. And then you, but you kept going. You played pretty much a perfect six holes, right? You Did you birdie all of them? We both missed hole one. Technically, it was a part of Oh yeah, the one you have to throw three, the roller on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so I was super aggressive in that playoff because I was rolling with all those birdies. At that point, going into the final nine, what did we play? Six holes. So I had birdied seventeen of the previous eighteen uh -huh. holes, like the round and a half. So it was, it was, yeah, wild. Stepping up to one, I was like, I was inbounds and I had like a seventy-five footer, and I was like, I'm gonna make this and just end the world's right here, and I missed love it. That. And I had like a, a twenty-footer, but I was so confident in my putt that mm -hmm. I didn't care where I was. So I was like, seventy-five feet, I'm running this and making it. So mm -hmm. basically, how Ricky putts now mm -hmm. is how I felt back then. And then on hole two, he absolutely pinned it, like dropped. I remember that. And I was stepping up to my tee shot, and I was like, I'm just gonna ace and walk off with an ace right here for the world championship. So I ran it for an ace, went over it 30, 30 35 feet. Oh That's my why I was so far God. back. But it was a good run. But I was like, there's, I can't get a forehand. You there. want to like, drop a dagger on yeah. this hole. Yeah. And then I put it that far, make the putt, coming back again, the confidence. I wasn't worried. Like, I'm going to make this. Like, uh -huh. we're going to go to the next hole. 
And then I have this super tight tunnel shot mm-hmm. that I have to convert, leave a 20, 20 footer. And then actually the hole that I was most worried about was... This is that Blue Lake, right? Blue Lake, yeah. yeah. So the forehand I had to throw, on, I might have went backhand. And he hit his putt that shouldn't have gone in, mm-hmm. stuck in, rolled on the cage. And then I made mine. wasn't on the pole, but it was it was good enough to stay in. Mm-hmm. And then we stepped up to that par five. Yep. And I expected us both to birdie it. Wasn't the hardest. I remember I threw this red tee bird. I wasn't trying to go for a lot of distance. I think he went distance driver. That's why he ended up left out mm-hmm. of position. And then he smacks that tree. Yep. The hole after that, I had been like, for the tournament, probably six or seven over on that hole. That's the hole I took the seven on. Oh, I is that the one with the gap? Like, or that like creek you have to cross? Yeah. yeah. I was terrible at the hole. Mm-hmm. So I was did not want to get to that hole. Because he can just chuck a sidearm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like I said, like seven over on that hole yeah. for, the, for the whole world. Like no birdies. Seven just, over for that oh, hole? I took a seven on it oh, for sure. God. And then and then in the final nine, I double bogeyed it or bogeyed it. Oh, my God. So like in the final nine, I had taken the lead and then I bogeyed it or double bogeyed it one of the two mm-hmm. so to win the worlds on the hole right before that mm-hmm. hole seven was just the biggest relief i bet and, and he made one mistake he finally made it you guys were just boom boom mm-hmm. boom 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 mm-hmm. boom no problem and then and i knew i still had to birdie the hole like even though he hit that tree right in front of me or right in front of him i knew in order to win i still had to bury the hole i couldn't just lay it up for par to win like it's not like he went out of bounds or anything he still got up and down for par hit a bigger putt than me, and I still had to hit that uphill elevated basket from like 25 to win. Yeah, I remember I watched that. I was just like, I was just blown away. I, it just felt like when you watch that, you see two people that both, when the competition is on, they get bitter. Mm-hmm. Two people mm-hmm. who, when the ropes are cut off, they laser focus, going back and forth, mm-hmm. and then one mistake happened. I guess what I'm saying is, you guys in this season, it felt like pushed the envelope more than I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I guess in your head, before we move into what, what I think is the one of the last seasons that I really, really want to dive into, I've always, you know, especially throwing with you today, even like your shot shaping is incredible. And I love the way you shape the disc. I love the the decisions you make. And it seems like nowadays you're even messing more with nose angle than you are with wing angle sometimes. Like you're throwing a lot more like stally, like little floaty shots have you actively adjusted the way you've shaped the disc over the years? Do you think about that? Or is it just kind of like a natural progression of what you're throwing, what you're comfortable with? Like, have you noticed a difference in the way you throw the disc? Growing up, I messed around with that a lot. You know, I just love seeing like what I could do with the disc. Mm-hmm. And then once I got on tour, I didn't have to do that as much. When I first started, we were, we're, a lot of the courses were like 54, 56, mm-hmm. 58. Now we're finally getting to the courses where you actually have to do stuff like that. You know, you can't just control the nose angle. You got to control... exactly everything about the disc mm-hmm. and you kind of saw that on the course today yeah you know, i like being able to manipulate the disc way more than just throwing it and letting it naturally her out exactly you know like holding it on a turnover on a disc that doesn't want to turn mm-hmm. but like forcing it to do that and then letting it snap out and be its natural disc you know at the last 50 feet of it and yeah. i just love doing that kind of stuff and being in control of it and we're finally getting to the courses that i've worked my entire career for yeah you know, the styles so, of courses, right? Yeah. You know, I was developing that stuff way back in the early 2010s, mm-hmm. 2011. Soft landings, sooner. ground play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now and, we're finally going to u- utilize it more. I love it. I, and I, I think everyone criticizes like the power player. Well, they don't criticize the power player, but they get tired of watching Fountain Hills. Yeah. The, the Spike Kaiser is an outrageously impressive shot. But when you watch it over and over again, you want to see a Frisbee fly. That's like why people like mm-hmm. playing disc golf. And mm-hmm. I think... Now that we're starting to to challenge, like I played Tempere in Finland. I don't know if yep. you've played there. 
It's like a place that makes you throw flippy hyzer flip distance drivers to get to these landing zones. The, the, the new one. Yeah. The, yeah. No, I haven't yet. It's so hard. Yeah. And That's it's so awesome. That's what I hear. And it, it, it makes you shape the disc with distance. Uh-huh. And it makes you shape the disc with speed. And it makes you land the disc softly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like you said that's something that i've I've watched you because i like the way you shape the disc and it, it relates to, to like how i like to throw the disc i love that you focus on landing a lot yeah. you land the disc very softly even with a driver like whole three maple hill i whole three maple hill is a pretty mm-hmm. especially these days pretty crazy hole it's like an uphill flex 400 something feet a lot of people are taking an overstable distance driver and kind of throwing it hard annie it flexes out yeah I watched you take Undertaker, and this was last year, mm-hmm. in a practice round, and you just kind of popped that little nose up and just nine speed, yep. you know, just, just throw it hard enough to where it drifts a little to the right, drifts and a then little stalls right, stalls and finishes like a overstable disc. Yes, yep. stalling the disc, and mm-hmm. I think like that's another skill that I'm seeing more people start to utilize because they have to. Yeah, but yeah. I want more courses there's, that make you. Yeah, do there's that. so I mean there's so much the the benefits to throwing that shot. Yeah, it is harder. It'll take more more skill, but yeah. you don't have to worry about the skip. Yes, exactly. It's a slower speed, so it's a little bit more comfortable. You get mm-hmm. the glide out of it. You're throwing it in the wood. So if you do kick, it's not going to be as bad as a distance driver. And then you get to control the spin rate and stuff like that. So. Exactly. And it takes a little bit of body English, too. Like, you can't necessarily just have perfect form and throw a shot like that. Like, it kind of takes... I watched you in mm-hmm. Hole 3 Maple Hill. I've watched you. You know, you weren't just, like, following through normal. You kind of did this little Stop thing it, with... Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see I see you, man. I see what you're doing. Yeah. I like it. I, yeah. I love it, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool... It, it makes me happy that uh, flippy discs are being stalled with nose angle rather mm-hmm. than just wing angle adjustment. And I think more and more players are starting to do that because they have to. Now that I'm able to, to design courses, it's one of the things I really like to do. Like, you got to play my property today. Mm-hmm. I was limited on the space, but I tried to maximize that European style a lot. And yes. then the other course that you haven't seen yet is very, very European-like. Really? In that sense. How so? Just the shapes of the fairways, the width of the fairways to where they're wide enough to where you can just rip distance drivers, Mm -hmm. but you still need to control where it lands and how it skips because there could be OB on the left side to where you're skipping towards it and you don't want that. So you need to have Mm -hmm. as few rotations as possible or landing your disc flat so it doesn't skip. Exactly. But you're still able to shape them through the woods because the fairways are wide enough and stuff. So I'm glad that you like acknowledge that because I think that's where I personally want professional disc golf to go. I want I want a power player to be we, we see Ezra Adderhold as being like, you know, praised right now because he's a new thing in disc golf. And I I want to see what he can do mm-hmm. with his power with yeah. that yeah. kind of shot. The well, stall, angle, that kind of thing. For like, sure. I think I think the closest thing to Ezra that we've had in the sport is Simon. Exactly. I think Ezra is exactly what Simon was back mm-hmm. when Simon was young, but Simon wanted to have fun more than he wanted to become a great competitor. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's Simon. That's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing against him. You know, he's maximized that. He's killing at YouTube now. But Ezra is the competitive side of cares. Simon. He wants to win and wants to play. He doesn't want to do the gimmicky stuff. He does YouTube now for fun. I think it's just because more of a brand. I think standpoint. it's a great move. Yeah. But he wants to win and get good at disc golf. Oh, yeah. I mean, you so, pop a 1096, you're in the woods. So, like you said, yes. not comfortable with it, but he popped a 1096 in the woods, and that yeah. says something. Yeah, so I, I'm really interested to see how he does and how he develops because this is the the Simon, you know, Simon 2.0. Yeah, that's that's a bold statement. and I, and, mm-hmm. But I'm not saying that as in, like, I doubt that because mm-hmm. I, I agree that we're seeing more and more athletes that take a lot of pride in their job. And I think, you know, you have a lot to do with it. I think 
you were mentioning what you saw in the old guard of players and you're like, well, you know, I'm as good as them, but if I work really hard and I train, then I can, I can beat them because I'll be more focused than they are. And speaking of focus and training, I want to cap off with what I think is like one of the craziest seasons in, in sports that I've ever seen. And I want you to elaborate just a little farther on this. 2015, I watched you start calling players out. I watched you start t- putting videos up of you training. You had like a video where you like made like 50, 30 footers and you shot a three pointer. So mm-hmm. you started to kind of push the buttons of people a little bit. Was that your whole, your whole point in 2015? Like you started training hard. It looked like it was more so like, I want to be a real athlete. Like, I, I mean, from the beginning of my career in sports, it's like, I've never been the tallest. I've never been the fastest. I've never been the strongest. I've never been, been these eye tests mm-hmm. things. But I've always been athletic and gifted to where like I had everything and I could put them together yeah. and be an extremely good athlete. So stop judging me by how I look. Yeah. And this was the season where I'm like, I'm going to just look the part and see how it goes, mm-hmm. you know, and, I'm, and I want to, you know, have a six pack. I want to have muscles. I want to have all that. And that year I did. I was like in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. I was literally just lived in this training center that I had built with these baskets and this gym and these weights. And all I did was, I would say 18 hours of the day, I was like literally in there. I was either at the course or in there. I mean, I think it was great because it helped me for one year. Yeah. But now it's hard to get back into that because I was like, I did this for well, so long. Well, your life's long. changed a little bit too now. You it know? Has, it, yeah, it definitely has. But I'm starting to get back to that, which I love. Yeah. Because I burnt myself out so hard like did that. Did you? Yeah. And then also I had, so <laughs> this year actually is when I got actually pretty hurt, pretty injured. It was kind of documented a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was it the back? Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually at the European Open that I slipped really hard on one of the shots and I planted so hard and rotated so fast that I fractured one of my vertebrae. Oh and my it just, gosh. just crunched. The thing was when it crunched, it pinched nerves and it sent the pain other places. So I had a broken vertebrae, but I thought like I had a cracked, ri- a separated uh-huh. rib. I thought... I had a uh, injury in my knee because it was it was pinching on nerves that oh weren't directly God. where the injury was. Uh-huh. So this year I had worked so hard on the off season I was able to play through and compete. But yeah. then going into the next off season like I was like I need to get this stuff figured out. Like uh-huh. what is wrong with my body? Like I I don't know. So I couldn't practice putt because my knee was so jacked up because of the pain that my body was like compensating and bending weird ways to where I was like I can't practice because my knee's not going in the right position to putt. Like, there's something wrong. Oh, yeah, you then, switched to straddle for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because I couldn't practice because my knee would not bend properly because the pain was just making it go the wrong ways. Oh, my God. And so I went to professionals, couldn't figure it out, and then finally a while later, because I, I had the rib injury that I felt like there's something wrong, like there's one of them's out, and they took x-rays, and they're like, no, we don't see anything wrong. And I finally went to the specialist. He went through all the knee stuff. He's like, yeah, we took an MRI. There's nothing wrong with it. He's like, but you said you had an injury with your, you got x-rays of your chest. He's Uh like, can you bring those in? And he looked at him and said, yep, I know what this is. He actually had a lady when she was a little girl got in a car accident. Uh And she, she did this very similar thing, broke a couple vertebrae and they pinched on her nerves and she had knee issues. And she was just living her daily life. Uh And he's like, she just couldn't function right properly. And he ended up finding like 
went through everything and then finally got x-rays of her back and she had broken vertebrae and she was living her life with like broken back, like severely, like way, way more oh than Oh my mine. gosh. And she was just living life and she was doing, I think, gymnastics and stuff. Like she was like a hardcore, like, I'm just not going to let, yeah, let this hold me back. Uh-huh. Like, so he's like, I've seen something like this and looked at my x-ray mm-hmm. and figured out. That's it. Yep, that's it. And I was still trying to train as hard as I could physically, but not putting the same way. So I was like, oh, I'll straddle putt and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So once I figured that out, then uh, he's like, yeah, don't lift any weights. I don't want you to play for a while. Like you need to let this heal naturally. Because with that, you kind of just got to like get your, you know, your, uh, your posture back in line yeah. and everything and let it go back into place because you can't really do anything with that. You can't Or else it's all it. compensation. Yeah. So 2016 was rough. But 2015, you were... I was able to play through it. You were... Okay, but you were Super hurting hurt. in 2015. Yeah, so I, I did it in the July. So European Open, and then I had the World Championships right after, and then like a kind of season was luckily short after that, but it was like miserable. So, so then... <sighs> That's what an existence. So what were you doing? Were you playing practice rounds? Like what were you doing? Yeah. So I was playing practice rounds in my back. It, it was more my lower back that had the pain. So it was the T T one, which is the one yep. that fractured. And it felt like extreme muscle tightness back mm. there. So I was like, Oh, you know, it's just tight. I need to stretch it out every day. So I was trying to stretch my back out every day. I'd had the rib injury, like what I thought was an injury, which was nothing, but it was just the pain coming through my body, through my vertebrae to my chest. And the knee issue. So I was just waking up every morning like so stiff and I just didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm just going to keep stretching it, figure it yeah. out. Like it felt more like a pulled muscle in my back, but all the pain was everywhere else. So played through it for what is it? Four more, five more events. Yeah, after what? That and you kept Open. winning. It, well, yeah, I won half of them after that, I think. But like people were coming after you that year, mm-hmm. you know, like you were calling people out like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys aren't doing anything. Like mm-hmm. I'm training out here and you start Boom, 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 win, yeah. win, 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 win. And people are coming after you and you're in all this pain. Yeah. How are you still winning? Like, how how did you do that? Was it just sheer willpower? Pretty much, yeah. Really? I mean, I, so I've always lived by the, the you know, there's the saying that, that I heard recently that made more sense than what, how I was putting it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you earn your wins in the off season, you collect your trophies in the, in the summer. You know, like in the winter, you earn, you earn your wins. My off season is the hardest part of my year. Yeah. The season is the fun part. Yeah. That's where all the work that I put into the off season just mm-hmm. shows. So yeah. now I just get to show up to tournament, no expectations, just play. Yeah. Because exactly. I know I put all the work in in the off season. So it takes so much pressure, takes all the expectations out. Now I just could go out there and you play. You felt prepared. Yeah. More prepared than everybody else. Yep. And I mean, I guess when you're in competition and the adrenaline's going, I, I bet the pain kind of like you forgot about it for a little bit or you were probably it, living in it for so long that... Yeah. It, no, it definitely yeah. hurt. And, and one thing, like I've never taken medicine pain medicine mm-hmm. the only medicine that i ever take is like i get really bad migraines to the point where like mm. i can't see and i'm just puking all the time so mm-hmm. i'll take you know medicine for that allergy medicine but never any pain relievers because uh, you know more of a background on my family is is my mom and dad were alcoholics mm-hmm. like alcohol has always been an issue my brother struggles with alcohol and i know that that's addictive personality yeah. like that's why i am where i am is because i have that addictive personality so I've seen addiction in my family, uh, all over my family. And I knew that I, I know I had that trait. Yeah. So I never want to have alcohol because yeah. I don't want to get addicted. I never wanted, you know, never wanted to get into recreational stuff because I don't want to get addicted. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, medication. I don't want to get into that because I'll get addicted to it. I don't know if I'll get addicted to it, but I have that personality trait. You know, and there is a lot of things in my life like this, the training aspect, yeah. I got addicted to it. Really? 
everything in my life, it, it, it's an addiction that I have to find ways to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it could literally be, I don't like saying a great addiction cause, yeah. because I had a conversation with a potential sponsor today and I, I, I said the same thing. It's like, I don't care that people s- smoke you know, marijuana or yeah. weed. I don't have an issue with it, you know, because I think there's great benefits to it for some people. But my issue is when people abuse certain things, mm-hmm. then it becomes a negative. Exactly. When people abuse alcohol, it's a negative. I don't yeah. mind that people drink. Some people use it to relax themselves and come down from a hard day. But you wouldn't I don't be able care. to. You don't think you'd be able to do that. I don't that. think I would. And I don't like seeing it when people abuse certain things yeah. like that. Because everything, once it's abused, it's negative. Like some people are like, yeah, I'm so strict on my diet. But to the point to where it's like hurting you. Exactly. Or hurting other people. Like to where I don't like when people abuse things. Yeah. So... That was always my fear with anything, you know, like pills, alcohol. And mm-hmm. I just figured if I don't even get into them, I'll never have to deal with that addiction. And I think as a pro athlete that's getting older, mm-hmm. it can only be a benefit because you're 30 now, yep. you know, and yep. that's a real thing that you have to fight against the next couple, you know, couple decades as long as you're mm-hmm. playing this game. So, yeah, I, I commend that. I guess your last real addiction in 2015, like, put you in all this pain. But, oh, my God, like you influenced the sport of disc golf so much yeah. during this time. You win USDGC, you win like the final major of the year after this historic season, and mm-hmm. you cap off this season, and 2016, were you still in pain? Did you, did you take a break in the offseason, or were you so fired up from this season that you went back into the same thing? So yes, I was still dealing with that issue. So we didn't figure out what it was. So I did the whole offseason, like working out, all that stuff. So I was in shape, but I was having issues with the putting practice because yeah. I couldn't stand on my knee that long without it severely hurting yeah the rib issue wasn't that bad it only hurt when i was really throwing Mm -hmm. but in the off season i like to really dial in putting Mm -hmm. so i was able to win the first three events i played the first three events and then after that is when we kind of figured out what it was so i was still going in i was still back in i was back in california at this time figuring out with the specialist what was going on and then that's when he kind of said don't lift any weights don't do this don't Mm -hmm. do that don't run don't do any of this stuff so I still had the good solid off season, mm-hmm. but I couldn't practice his putt and throw because I was still dealing with that the issue a little bit. Uh-huh. And then 2017 is when I really didn't have an off season because I wasn't lifting anything, wasn't doing any of that. You tried crap. to take an actual rest. Yes. Yeah. As the year went on, a couple twelfths in there, twentieth because it started to to really take a toll. Um, and then what? I played 20 events, so I didn't play as many. Um, That's I think the fewest I played since yeah. since winning worlds. And then to cap it all off, you had you know you got second to Rick at you know at Worlds in 2016. Yep, and it was uh it was not fun to do because he had switched to Latitude or Trilogy, whatever mm-hmm. it was. I think it was his second year or third year, mm-hmm. and it was in the home of DD. So he had the whole everyone there behind his back. So like it was like he had like 13 people when he was Prodigy. Now he had like 130 people there. Like a gang. Yeah, yeah, because it was the whole crew. So it was like sucked even more. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just like it was Ricky beating me. It was like the whole trilogy yeah. thing was beat me that weekend. The whole trilogy <laughs> thing, the uh, whole faction. Yeah, so yeah. It, it sucked. And I couldn't do much. And like you were I still hurting. Had to, yeah, I still yeah. had to let it go that off season. Like, And I think it just took a toll more on confidence more than anything. Of course. More than anything was the confidence of like, I knew I was putting, making every putt, stepping up to it. This year, I'm like, man, I don't know what that could do. I don't know. Wow. So, so quickly. The, so the straddle putt was what helped me win the European Open. Yeah. So that was like finally where I was like, I can't I can't putt this way. Straddle putting, I never practiced, but I was still pretty solid with it. Yeah. 
Uh, and then I was putting the pressure on both legs rather than mm-hmm. just the one. So I, I kind of switched it up that year and then was able to like kind of finally get back into the groove of yeah. stagger putting. And, and now I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, I mean, I really? had, I mean, I had, before I went pro, I started in 2004 playing. I mean, going pro in 2008, I had four years of it mm-hmm. of like developing my putt. Yeah. And then, you know, 2008 to 2000, 2015, you know, another you know, seven years right there of the same putt. And then all of a sudden I had to switch it for two years. I'm still trying to get it back. It's a different weight shift completely. Mm-hmm. And then like you get you, your release yep. gets worked up into a different weight shift. Yep. And so, yeah, still trying to figure out. I mean, even if you look back at Ricky's putt, it's changed since 2014 yes. worlds to now. Yeah. You know, but he's been developing it and it's getting better and better and better and better. And, and that's what I want to do is get back to that of where I could feel like I'm going to make every 50 footer. Yeah. And you know, you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you saw my new practice set up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that'll get, get worked on in the future. Yeah, but yeah. you, so you really think, you you think that Ricky's putt's still getting better? Oh, I, I mean. Really? Yeah, I mean, unless he's dealing with injuries and stuff like that, you know, he's going to take some steps back. But I mean, I f- he's only putting more. He's only putting more. And, and I'm sure he's still practicing. Yeah. Um, but it depends on how he's practicing and what he's practicing. Yeah. You know, maybe he's like, you know, we see he's missing more in the circle than he is outside the circle. Mm-hmm. But he might not see that. Yeah, you know, if you like, I mean, I'm a big UFC fan, mm-hmm. and I love watching fights. And we see stuff from the television yeah. that they don't see when they're in there. Mm-hmm. And you can't say anything, you know, because you're not in there. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know. So it's like we see that he misses more putts in the circle circle one than he does circle two. But he might not visually or mentally see that himself. Yeah. So he might just be like. Man, I'm making everything from inside circle. <laughs> yeah, I, I need yeah. to start working on the hundred footers. That's true. So you know, I think I think he definitely is is getting better, and maybe he's making his range further, or he's yeah. making more circle two. But if he's not working on the circle one, then you know we might not see him getting better. But. Exactly. I wanted to. I do want to talk about something that I notice, and I actually use you as an example when I teach clinics. I watched you in 2014 when you played at the, at the World Championships. Mm-hmm. This is a great example. Your form. And especially your upper body is a lot quieter than it used to. Do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you actively changed that, or is that just like a natural like trial and error? Like you, you used to really flare the disc forward like hard mm-hmm. with a lot of emphasis, but now you look a lot more compact and I would say athletic, more lower body oriented. Do you, did you actively change that, or so it's probably it's probably just practice. Yeah. It's probably just practice. I mean, if you have all that movement and you're doing it, you know, a thousand times a day putting, you're going to get worn out. That's true. So you're going to be like, how can I make this more energy efficient to where I can do more putts and not get as tired, Mm -hmm. but still get, you know, quality practice. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm taking away all the arm pumps and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. and I'm like moving less, but still generating the same power and making it more consistent, I could do 2000 putts versus a thousand that I'm getting tired at. So it's probably gotten more compact and more smooth and more quieter because I'm practicing more. Yeah. I was going to say your release is the same. Everything Mm -hmm. is the same except for there's not as much crazy upper body movement. And I, Mm -hmm. I kind of had a hunch that it was more of a natural progression for you. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, if you look at your body, your leg muscles are bigger than your upper body. Exactly. So they can handle more than your upper body. Uh So if you're putting a lot more, you're going to use the legs a lot more because they're going to sustain that over time more than your, your arms are. Exactly. Going back to baseball, I think it's like Ken Griffey's swing. Like his swing is so smooth, uh, and you don't look like it has any effort. Yeah, but it's because everything's timed so perfect yes. that it just it all flows together, mm-hmm. and it's got you know it's got the pop. So I think the same thing with the putt and the drive is is 
everything's just timed perfect to where it just looks so smooth and effortless. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that we have equipment that actually allows us to be biomechanically sound nowadays. And that's something that, you know, Climo used to not have. Like DX Stingrays were like considered drivers back in the day. You weren't able to like full extend and like actually snap a disc 80 miles an hour, mm -hmm. you, you know, the same way that you can now. Yeah. So I think it's amazing that like we're finally reaching a point where we maybe can start telling people what perfect form is or what like ta like perfect timing my, looks like. My favorite argument that I never get to talk about, like you brought up Climo and like yeah. Stingrays and stuff is like, how good would we be if we only had to throw one style? What do you mean? By, like if, if let's say all the time I've dedicated to disc golf, mm -hmm. how good would I be if all that time was just dedicated to backhand? Never had to learn forehand yeah. or throw forehand. And, and like forehand wasn't allowed essentially or yeah. yeah. Like it's just, I'm like, I'm like, how many more tricks would I know? A ton. You would know a ton. Like yeah. I, I think the game would be so cool if, if that was how it was played. Mm -hmm. If it was like capped off at a certain skit, you know, you could only throw backhand, which has the, obviously, well, at least so far what we've seen, the highest skill ceiling, you know, Hokum is really the only forehand dominant world champion that we've ever potentially ever seen. And MPO and FPO? Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I don't think we've seen a forehand dominant world champion, like, just in general. Uh, well, uh, I don't even want to say Rick, because when he went when he went trilogy, his forehand disappeared. Yeah, I, I remember that. He was, like, burning him over initially or something like that. Like, yeah. he wasn't having the same forehand game. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, she threw only forehand. That was yeah. it. Like, there was no option for mm -hmm. backhand. But, yeah, I think you would know a lot of... no. It, it's nose angle. That's what it is, because if you have a stingray and you want to throw it, you know, uh, hyzer, you mm -hmm. have to tilt the nose angle yep. up, you yep. know, or, you know, you watch James throw uh, his green aviar that mm -hmm. he was throwing. Greeny. Yeah, it's disgusting. He throws it like vertical knife hyzer and it yep. pops up and then pushes yep. nose down like, yep. no, the game would be cool and course design would be totally different. Yep. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Would you enjoy it as much? So the thing is with the backhand, it's so less taxing on the body. So I would love yeah. to just throw backhands all the time, but we can't. <laughs> We'd also have a lot of older players that could keep up still. So the field would be depending really the, cool. Depending on the, the length of the course. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah. uh, that's the thing. If, if we only threw the slower speed discs, uh -huh. that's the thing too nowadays is people like, oh, the technology is so far advanced. It's helping eh. these players. Our main drivers are still from 2008. Yeah, when people are backing off too, like I'm watching people from the right? interval. Yeah. yeah, they're going even older. Yeah, and that's the thing is like these new technology discs is helping the people that can't throw as far. Yeah, so it's helping the aging players. Yeah, stay you know Blizzard plastic stuff competitive, like competitive. Yeah, mm -hmm. with the younger the younger generation. So yeah, this this technology you know argument is kind of. I think yeah. we're starting to find like the speeds that the pros like to throw. They love the control drivers. I think control drivers are like the new frontier. Like mm -hmm. I still think if you can throw a control driver close to 5, mm -hmm. you know, I, yep. currently what what else do you need? Yeah. And I I think it was so funny James Conrad brought a, a Patagonia backpack to Europe in 2019. Yep. And he had 10 discs, four AVRs for his whole trip in Europe. Yeah. yeah, and he got he's second in Estonia and top ten at the major. Yeah. <laughs> like people are doing that, mm -hmm. and we're starting to see even one speeds come back. Garrett's dropping in throw-ins with a with a Sonic all over the place. It's not mm -hmm. a coincidence, mm -hmm. you know. I think there's a frontier that hasn't been touched yet by yeah. the athletes that are yeah. accustomed to the top technology. Just wait till there's a disc golf size ultra star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Discraft, if you're listening to this, please give us a little bit more overstable one speed. I would be it'd be a dream come true. I want to ask you a question that I asked Simon. I asked a question to Eagle, 
It's something that I, I ask to the people that I really, truly respect as a thrower of a flying disc. After all these years of traveling all over the world and playing all these beautiful courses and meeting all these really influential people, pushing this piece of sports equipment that's just so, to me, it still is fascinating after 17 years of playing. Mm -hmm. What is the shot or shot that another player throws that fascinates you? What still brings you that feeling of, of wonder? I don't think there is one because I cool. feel like throughout my career, I've always wanted to find the shots that are super challenging. Mm -hmm. What doesn't make sense? Like, what can mm -hmm. someone do that doesn't make sense? And there isn't a shot out there that I don't feel like I've tried mm -hmm. or worked on or done that I've seen mm -hmm. to where I'm like, this is going to be very beneficial to disc golf or, or my sport yeah. or like my game. And I don't think there, I don't think there is. Whoa. One. Yeah. Like I'm not easily impressed with a lot of things uh -huh. and it's like, it's a positive and it's a negative. You well, know, it's because you're an athlete and right now you're in the spot that you're at. It's like great because I don't get easily impressed. So I don't get like, I can't beat this person. Yeah. It you doesn't know? like, like sway uh, your focus at all. But yeah, but I'm not impressed by a lot yeah. of people. Then to change that question, what is your favorite shape to throw? Do you have a favorite shape anymore or do you just throw the shape that you need to throw? I love throwing mid ranges. Okay. Like I threw that Malta today down that hill. Yes. It's a Malta, so it should be overstable. But I threw it to where it went dead straight, faded a little bit to the right, and still I was able to control you it. You pushed the like, nose down. Yeah, yeah. And let it yeah, get to the right. And I love throwing shots like that to where it's like I have to control this the mm -hmm. whole way or it could go literally anywhere because it's going down a hill. Exactly. Um so I love throwing shots like that. Those are my favorite with mid ranges or yeah. fairway drivers. Those are my favorite. Like distance drivers is really easy for me to do. I've always been able to control distance drivers, and I think that's really helped because I I did that. I, th I threw as hard as I could mm -hmm. and then toned it down. And and there's a lot of players like AB. Like I'm like, cool, you throw it far, but let's see when you can start throwing golf. I golf know what shots. you mean. That's that's my that's my favorite one right now. Yeah, you know, doing that with putters, doing that with mids, fairways, distance drivers. Don't really care for it, mm -hmm. um, you know. But I do love the courses when we have to throw distance strikes exactly. and actually and actually control them. I mm -hmm. don't like just blasting them out into a field. I exactly, like, and that's why I think I like Ledgestone so much and 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 European. I was just uh, thinking European about Ledgestone because you get a rip distance drivers, but you still have to control them. You Whole eighty Eureka, go. you have to hit the you know the double mando and mm -hmm. or go over the top, which is still really impressive. Yep. yep, and then you still have to control it after it hits, not just hit the gap, but control it after it exactly hits the gap and stuff. Yeah, so. I just love shaping this and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but but if I had to pick one, I, I, I love the mid-ranges. I guess right now, I, I do want to give you a chance to, you know, here you are now, you switched to Discraft, you seem very happy. I, I've, I, you know, I've been around you past couple days, you seem calm, and you seem motivated, like very motivated and excited for this next frontier. You know, you've taken it into this pro sports realm. What do you see for yourself now and what do you want for the future of yourself and for the future of the game that you've given so much to and has given you so much i mean i think that's exactly it and i think that's that's kind of where i am in my career is like disc golf has given me so much mm -hmm. you know it's given me an outlet to play sports it's given me you know my, my wife i've met her through yeah. disc golf you know i met so many friends through disc golf and pretty much my whole life has been disc golf mm -hmm. and that's been given to me you know so this is the point where I know how to compete. I know how to play. I know how to train. Mm -hmm. But with, you know, these hours that I have, how can I give back to it? Yeah. You know, and that's that's the point that I'm at now is like, how can I give back to it? Like, I know people love consuming content, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's us playing or things like that. And people just love something to root for. Exactly. So that's easy for me, mm -hmm. you know, competing yeah. and doing it and doing this offseason stuff. But I have more things that I'm working on now that is beneficial for, 
we've talked about it a little bit off this mm-hmm. um, and, and hopefully it'll be public soon, but some of the things that I'm working on, you know, that are going to help the athletes that are going to help, mm-hmm. you know, future players. So I just want to be able to give back in a, in a way now, you know, cause, yeah. cause I've been given so much. So um, yeah, that, that's where it is. Awesome. And, man. And yeah. I mean, there's so much, so much more that we could talk about that has happened since we, we finished here and things, I know. That, things that I want want to talk about but maybe once it happens we'll, we'll be back here and again. and we can and yeah. and that's the beautiful thing about about tour and my favorite part about the flight diary is edited by Lindsay rodans music by johnny darge i am currently in scottsdale arizona getting ready for the 2021 disc golf season with that said, the show is not going to slow down. We still have plenty of guests lined up to interview, including one that I don't think you're ready for, a true legend of the game. More info to come. We will see you in a couple weeks.